And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. I hope you're doing unbelievable because we're going to have some fun tonight. We're going to explore children who remember their past lives. I mean, it's amazing. Some children come into this lifetime and they remember exactly what they did. And I don't, I'm lucky if I remember my first name. I have to put that on my hand, right on my hand with my first name as yet these kids remember everything. So how's your summer going? I hope your things are going well for you. I want to bring to your attention that tonight's show, we're going to give a shout out to one of our new fans. His name is Jasper. He's a little puppy. And uh, Mary Bass. So thank you, Jasper and Mary, for listening to the show and sending all your wonderful, heartfelt comments. This past week, I visited my parents and I met my nephew for the first time. His name is Miller. And uh, he made me really upset. I was very upset when I met this kid because, you know, he's crawling on the floor, he's drooling, he's pooping and peeing his pants, he's going, la, 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 la. You know, as he's doing this, everyone around him is like, oh, it's so wonderful. It's so amazing. And I'm like, look at him. I'm like, you know, I do that all the time when I go out drinking and everyone's like, oh, that's bad. You know, I have a few beers and I act exactly like Miller act. Actually, and everyone's telling me I go get into a program or something. So it's okay. He's a real cute kid. I think we're getting along pretty good. I'm, I'm looking forward to his third birthday when I can buy him a six-pack. Let us begin tonight's show. Joining us now is Mr. Tom Schroeder. He's an award-winning journalist, editor, and author. Several great books. But the book that we're going to focus on today is his book called Old Souls. Compelling evidence from children who remember their past lives. We can learn more about Mr. Schroeder by going to his website at TomSchroeder.com. Mr. Schroeder, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so when you do research for your book, Old Souls, what were three things that kind of blew you away or shocked you when you were doing your research? Oh, what, you know, the, the book is about, first of all, just to give you some general background, uh, it's about a um, University of Virginia psychiatrist who got fascinated by reading case reports of very small children who spontaneously appeared to be speaking about previous lives. And, um, and he had done research all over the world where he tried to go and assess these cases in a scientific frame of mind. And he was very little known at that time, um, and the kind of cases that were getting a lot of attention were these cases where um, people were regressed hypnotically and sort of prompted to recall previous lives, and I had been investigating that aspect, and I didn't find any of that compelling because the cases that I looked at 
the people under hypnosis weren't coming up with anything that they couldn't have come up with from other sources, normal sources, reading books, watching movies, whatever. But the thing about these kids was that they were very small. Sometimes uh, as soon as they could talk, they began to say things that and, and include details about complete strangers that it appeared that they had no normal way of knowing. So that's what fascinated me. Um, and it took me about two years to convince the doctor, a man named Ian Stevenson, to let me come with him because he wasn't in it for the publicity. In fact, he wanted to convince serious scientists to pay attention to this. And the more publicity he got, he felt, the less seriously he would be taken by his scientific colleagues. Um, but I finally persuaded him, and I went with him on uh, month-long research trips, one to Lebanon and one to India, where there were a lot of these spontaneous cases. And, I, you know, when I went with him, I, you know, I had his, his case studies were interesting, but for all I know, he was faking all his results and he was a nut, you know. But when I went with him, I guess the thing that impressed me most was that the, case, the people that he was interviewing and researching, they obviously had no interest in being known as people who had lived previous lives. In fact, in some cases, they didn't want anybody to know about it. So they weren't motivated to lie about it. And in fact, they were very emotionally involved. Sometimes they would remember the lives of people that they discovered who the families were of the dead people. And they ended up being very close to these families, having lifelong relationships with the relatives of the dead person that they thought they remembered being. So it was a very sub substantial and, and serious thing, and some of the individual cases were quite remarkable in, in, the, in the just the facts of them. Now, are they within come across any cases of people that had died recently? Were there any people that came across that? Yes, and that was that was the other thing. Was these weren't these weren't people who were remembering famous lives. You know, that always has to make you suspicious, both because you know there's an obvious wish fulfillment moment. Uh, motive in remembering being like Marilyn Monroe or Abe Lincoln or something. And secondly, there's so much known about those famous people that it would be easy for someone to get information about that person and sort of say, oh, I remember this or I remember that, when in fact they read it in a book or saw it in a movie. Um, so these people were remembering very ordinary people and in some case extremely unglamorous people like laborers or or, you know, or, or homeless people even. And they were remembering them in from people in the immediate generation. And in, in fact, um, the Druze word for these people actually translated to those who remember the previous generation, which I thought was really interesting because, you know, it, it really showed that the, that these cases were connecting with real people as opposed to either some imaginary handmaiden in Egypt or, you know, or, or somebody well-known throughout the world. Oh, and did you find that any of these people, is there a commonality in listening to these children that they had an unfulfilled life or were there, were there things that they were trying to do? Is that why they decided to come back? Was there, was there any particular common reasons why they, they you know, didn't come back? You know what? That was one of the really interesting things about this, was that 
Those commonalities were not difficult to find. Stevenson did a statistical analysis, and he would, and this is the sort of thing he found, for instance, that let's say something like 60% of the cases, when they remembered a cause of death, that death was violent in some way, and that in the populations he was studying, that 60% was more than the percentage of violent death in the population. So from that, you conclude that a violent death might make it more likely for someone to remember a previous life. But there wasn't anything that was like, you know, everybody did it this way. And in fact, the, the, the fact that there were like exceptions to almost everything was one of the major common characteristics was that, you know, so in, in that way, it struck me as being, it really was very much like a natural phenomenon. You know, it wasn't like uh, a showboaty type of thing where you'd say, oh, everybody does it, everybody did it this way, or, you know, they're all coming back because they had unresolved issues in their old life. And some of them did, but many of them didn't. And, you know, some of them died of uh, murder, and some of them, you know, died of old age and disease. So, you know, it was very normal in, in an odd way. But there were some great stories, like there was a woman in India who um, remembered the life of a an educated woman who married into a upper-middle-class family, but it was a traditional Indian marriage, and her in-laws really hated her and ended up killing her. This was her memory, killing her by hitting her in the head with a brick, um, and 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 this woman sort of and in another village a poor woman who was not well educated suddenly had a fit and fell down and everybody took her as being dead and she was like unresponsive and not breathing they said for like 8 to 10 minutes and then suddenly she revived only she no longer remembered the life of the person who had fallen down for 8 to 10 minutes she remembered the life of this wealthy woman who had been killed by her in-laws. And, and you know, obviously this poor woman didn't know this woman at all. She lived in a village maybe 50 miles away. Um, and, but she said enough details about the dead woman so that the dead woman's father heard about this. And he came to the village sneaking in, pretending to be somebody else, just to see if uh, she would recognize them, and she recognized them immediately. That's amazing. But, you know, yeah, there were. I mean, there were there were many many stories like that that were great. He focused on cases that were quote solved, and what that meant to him was cases where the uh, child gave enough information so that some real live real live dead person could be identified. And, um, and, and they ended up like meeting up, um, with the family. Uh, and those were the most interesting cases. I mean, there were thousands of cases where children talked about previous lives, but they couldn't quite identify who they were talking about. Are there other ones where you've come across children were able to that we connect with these families of their past lives that they were over the bridge. Yes, yeah, and there, here's a here's a good story. Uh, the one I loved was that there was this also in in um, in Le in Lebanon. This one, there was a young girl who 
as soon as she could talk, she'd be like grabbing the phone off the hook in her family home and calling for somebody to turn that she said was her husband. And she gave the name of her husband and the name of seven children in their birth order. This is over a period of time. She would talk to her parents and say this and say, and plus she'd say she had to get in touch with her daughter, Lila. And it turned out that when they found out, you know, when they got enough information and somebody sent to the town where this girl was saying her her family lived, and it turned out that there was a, a family with all those names. There were seven children in that exact birth order, and that um, the the woman had died. Actually, she'd come to Virginia and died in a hospital in Virginia during heart surgery. And right before the heart surgery, she had been desperately trying to get her daughter, whose name was Lila, on the phone. So so the, all those details matched up. And, in fact, the little girl had even given her parents the phone number, she said, was her number. And it turned out that that number was identical to the real number of that family, except that there were two digits transposed. So the wow. the, the daughters of this woman, who were now grown, heard about this, and they paid a surprise visit to the little girl, and the little girl instantly recognized them, called them by name, and the first thing she said to them was, did your uncles give you the jewelry as I asked them to? Oh, and only wow. the family, and they said that only the family knew that in the hospital before her surgery, she had asked her brothers to, to, that if she didn't make it, to distribute the jewelry to the daughters. And this was interesting because these women were part of a very wealthy family, much wealthier than the little girl's family. And they, and we went to interview them and they didn't want to talk to us and they were very upset that we were there. But finally the woman, the daughter came out and said, my, my relatives do not want me to talk to you about this or be in your book, but, um, I have to say, that this little girl knew things about our family that nobody could have known except my mother. And and I asked her, well, did you find it reassuring? Because another theory is that people sort of want to believe this stuff, so they kind of excuse incorrect things and sort of, you know, you know, misremember them getting more right than they did. But she said, because, you know, they want to be comforted to think that, and she says, no. I mean, this wasn't my mother. It was a little girl. So it was really disturbing to have her say those things. So I thought that was really interesting, and it made it even more credible to me. That's incredible. Now, did that little girl, did they want to keep in touch? Did they, were they, were they, did they remain Well, close? this was the oh, and this was the thing, because when I went there, Stevenson had inter- interviewed this little girl like 14 or 15 years before. And when I went there, she was 20 years old. And it turned out that she was still calling the old man who was the dead woman's husband and that she had all along and she had basically said she'd never been able to really fall in love with anybody because of the memory of this marriage. And the fa and the old man said that he had, you know, he was, his family had like basically told him not to contact her anymore. But then when we got him alone, he admitted that he had just talked to her recently and said, you know, I told her she should stop calling me, not because I didn't want to talk to her, but because 
I felt bad for her. I felt she needed to let go of it so she could have her own life. She's a young woman. She needs to fall in love. So I thought that was really, really powerful. That's amazing. And the last question I have for you, Mr. Schroeder, is if you're looking at the number of children that you've studied or seen that have remembered their past lives, is there a common um, theme as far as what they're, you know, sorry, let me rephrase the question. People learn through listening, they learn through um, feeling, and they learn through seeing. Of all the people, uh, the, most of the kids, were they more intuitive? Were most of the kids intuitive? Were they feeling? Were they more visual? Were they more listening? Was there a direct... Well, you know, they, they, yeah, they actually did, um, did psychological tests on some of these children. And they found out, A, they had no kind of mental illness or other kind of mental health issues. They were completely normal on all measures of mental health. And they tended to be slightly more intelligent than um, than the average person. And um, I think that if I had to say one thing was that they were just more emotionally tuned in um, uh, because they – you know, they'd had this very emotional attachment that, uh, you know, was very difficult to understand and explain. So they might have been a little more sort of emotionally sensitive, but because they had been through these traumatic experiences. Mr. Tom Schroeder, author. And that, by the way, that's S-H-R-O-D-E-R if you're looking up my S-H-R-O-D-E-R. Yeah, so learn more about you by going to website Tom S H R O D E R dot com. Mr. Schroeder, thank you so much. Really fascinating uh, interview, and thank you for your for your time, sir. Okay, my pleasure again. Thanks. Do you believe in reincarnation? Our guest today on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show experienced reincarnation on a first-hand basis with her child. Please welcome to the program Miss Kathy Bird, author of the book. The Boy Who Knew Too Much. Ms. Bird, welcome to the program. Thank you. So, you wake up, and you're probably not going to expect that every single day that your child is going to be recalling some past, lives, past life memories. Can you please explain the story about when you knew that your child was different and was not having imagination that was actually recalling a past life? Okay, it took me a while to actually take the things he was saying seriously. Um, initially, he just said things like, oh, I was tall, I was tall like daddy, mm -hmm. you know, and it wasn't until he really started revealing some historical facts from the life of a baseball player in the 1920s and 30s that I really started to take it seriously. That's pretty amazing. And who's the baseball player? That. Um, initially, we didn't know because he just was very vague, and he said, oh, I was tall like Daddy, um, and he had a really strange reaction to a photograph of Babe Ruth um, when we happened to be at a baseball game in Boston, um, and that was just strange. Um, but over time, um, I was able to figure out who it was because I met a woman named Carol Bowman who wrote a book called Children's Past Life Memories, and she's the one who suggested that I show him photographs from the era that he was talking about. Um, you know, and he had insisted since the age he was two when he first said it, when he first said, I was a tall baseball player, um, tall like daddy. And it went on until he was about six years old. And I showed him these photographs at the age of three. 
and that's when he pointed to um, a stocky guy with dimples and said, that's me. Well, and who was the person? Um, it turned out to be Lou Gehrig. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's really uh, yeah, amazing. Quite odd. <laughs> quite odd. And I still didn't believe it at that point. You know, like even though your child says, oh, that's me, you know, you think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just other things that he said that really convinced me. We were in an elevator one time. And he said, this elevator reminds me of a hotel. And I said, yeah, it kind of does. And he said, when I was a tall baseball player, when I was tall like daddy, I used to stay in hotels almost every night. And I kind of joked and I said, oh, did you fly on airplanes? And he said, no, mostly trains. And he would just tell us detail after detail about things like, oh, I wore metal cleats, but I didn't wear helmets. And I played all my games during the day because there were no lights on the field. You know, it just went on and on and on. That's really amazing. And I'm wondering because your son is so little and kids are so, have such an active imagination. I'm wondering by having those memories and knowing that they did occur and knowing that they are, we were, were truths onto him, how did that affect his development? Do you think that your son has matured much faster because of that, because of those right. memories? Right. You know, he is kind of a mature kid. Like, I mean, we, 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 it's funny because I never had a problem with the word old soul, but I did have a problem with the word reincarnation because being a Christian and that wasn't part of my faith or something I believed in. Um, yeah, he definitely is kind of mature for his age. Even now at eight years old, he's very mature. Um, but it's quite, it's quite common. What, what really helped me was, you know, I first initially went to my pastor and told him what my son was saying, and he kind of insinuated that my son could be possessed by the spirit of a dead person. Um, so that's why it was such a wonderful gift to find Carol Bowman, and she introduced me to the research at the University of Virginia um, Medical School, where they've collected thousands of cases of children between the ages of two to six who actually have very specific past life memories. That's really fascinating. And if you're looking at your son's astrological chart, and you look at Lou Gehrig's astrological chart, did you observe any striking um, similarities and specific reasons why um, each life took place? Like, were there specific soul lessons that were to be gleaned from each particular life? And were there lessons that your son did not complete as Lou Gehrig that he's actively trying to complete right now? Yeah, you know what? I guess time will tell with that. And I, I'm not an expert enough at astrology um, to know that, I, I did talk to someone one time who did compare the charts, and it was really interesting. Um, but I guess as far as soul purpose, um, we will find out. The one thing that was really interesting that I write about in my book um, was when Dr. Tucker from the University of Virginia came to our home to interview Christian to document his case for the medical school there. Um, Christian was just playing baseball in our house, and Dr. Tucker started asking him questions like, do you remember how you died? And my son said, oh, my body stopped working. And then as he was asking the questions, um, Christian threw a ball at the wall and turned around and said to Dr. Tucker, well, I chose her to be my mom. And then she got old. And then Dr. Tucker went down that path and said, well, when did you choose her? And he said, when she was being born. And then he said, well, where were you when you chose her? And he said, in the sky. And even then, I didn't know if that was like a fantasy or if that was something real. But Dr. Tucker is the one who told me that many of these children who recall past lives gave very specific details around selecting their parents. So I found that really interesting. Well, that's pretty amazing. And, you know, I've always wondered that 
apparently when people come and they experience a life incarnation, they they come with a group, and then they leave. And did you find it? Did you find any kind of authentic or genuine connection with Lou Gehrig's family? Did your son have a natural uh, chemistry with Lou Gehrig's family when you met them? Yeah, well, okay, here's the situation. So Lou Gehrig doesn't have any living relatives. Okay. Um, and the interesting thing is, right, when I finally showed Christian photographs of Lou Gehrig's family, he was able to pick out the parents, the names of the parents right away at the age of three. Um, and then he said, Mommy, you were her. And he pointed to Lou Gehrig's mother. And again, I didn't take it seriously. I thought, oh, he's just trying to assimilate <laughs> this, these memories with his current life. Um, and then I went and did some past life regressions, which was way out of my comfort zone. Um, but I did do that, and I had six hours of recordings of really specific details of Luke Eric's mother's life. And so in those regressions, one of the things that came out is I, I saw myself in this body, and I was very sick, and I could see the items that I owned, and I described really specific things under hypnosis, like jewelry, a charm bracelet from Japan that Luke Eric had given me, and a pennant and a watch. And I said, I wanted that to go to the family that I was living with at the time. And I described these children and their ages and what they look like and the floor plan of the house. So once the regression was over, I became obsessed with figuring out if there was actually a family that she lived with at the end of her life. And I was able to find those people. And these are the only living people that had any relationship with Lou Gehrig or his mother. Um, there's really no one else even alive. Even Lou Gehrig's wife passed away in 1978. Um, so these were really the only people living who I was able to validate these things through. And I was as shocked as they were when I asked them, did you inherit this jewelry from Lou Gehrig's mother? And they said, yeah, we did. But we And we had it under our house in a safe for 60 years and no one really knew that we had it um, so they were very shocked when I came to them and said did you inherit this jewelry that's pretty amazing and when you met these people was there any kind of other things that you had in common with them did you develop a relationship with them a friendship with them did you find that some of the people that they knew you were cordial with as well yeah I did I have a really amazing connection with this but I saw him in my regression as a 10-year-old little boy, and I described him as like a grandson to me and talked about how I went to all his baseball games and baked cookies for the kids. Um, and I actually got to meet him, and he's now a 73-year-old pastor, um, a Methodist pastor, and he's done some amazing things in his life. And we have, an, we have just an amazing, great connection. And ironically, he's the one who, who – verified basically all of the details from my regression, but he does not believe in reincarnation because he is a Methodist pastor. Um, but what he believes, the way that he said it to me made so much sense. And he said, this is an example of wisdom and knowledge that cannot come from rational experience. It comes from being in the flow of the channel of God. And so what he was really trying to say is that he believes that Christian was channeling Lou Gehrig and I was channeling Lou Gehrig's mother because they needed closure in their relationship. Um, so I really wrote the book. I just reveal all the evidentiary moments that occurred in our lives. And I really leave it open to the reader to decide their own interpretation of what happened. And because of your experience, because of your book, have you met other ch uh, parents and children who've had, um, who've had similar experiences where they've... Uh... Yeah, you know what? I've had a lot of parents reach out to me with amazing stories. I get goosebumps every time. Um, and we did have the, 
wonderful um, gift of being able to meet a little boy. Well, he's now 19, but when he was a young child, he had very specific memories of being a fighter pilot in World War II, and his name is James Leininger, and he's probably the most well-documented case um, because he had so many specific details, you know, down to the fact that James Leininger's family met him and said, you know, this kid was definitely our, our relative because he knows things that no one would ever know outside of our family. And that was a really great experience for both James and Christian because it was the first time for either one of them to meet someone with a similar experience. Uh, it's pretty amazing that you're able to do that. And I'm sure that, you know, you're the, the book has been so successful. It's incredible the kind of responses that, be, that people are getting and uh, people respond to it. I mean, I have to say, when I first heard your story, I thought it was very fascinating. And I know it brought a lot of people, a lot of joy. Where you're going at, forward with this book, does Christian still talk about his experiences, or has he kind of accepted the fact that this is his life right now and that his past life as Lou Gehrig is a close? Is that, is that closure? Is he right. He's, you know what? He is very immersed in his present life. Like, we don't go through our lives thinking that he is Lou Gehrig. Um, but he still has a lot of affinity towards Lou Gehrig. He has pictures of him in his room. Um, he's pretty sensitive about it, so thankfully no one's really made fun of him about it yet. He's been pretty sheltered. Um, but it is something that's really special to him um, and that he thinks of him fondly. Got it. And I'm curious, have you been able to actually locate other people who've reincarnated that were part of your experience when you were Luke Eric's mother? I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if your son ever gets into a major rivalry with somebody at school or gets into a major fight, I'm like, uh-oh, yeah. uh-oh, they found Babe Ruth. Babe, Babe Ruth back. is back. Babe is back. <laughs> Babe is back. You know what? You never know what's going to happen in the future. I know. It's very interesting. I mean, it's taken me forever just to wrap my head around our part of the story, but anything is possible. That's what I learned is that, you know, Wayne Dyer always quoted this um, – great Mark Twain quote, he would say, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And it's really taught me to have a very open mind. What advice would you give to any parent who currently has a child that they suspect is remembering a past life? Is it something that they should be talking to them about, be more accepting about? Um, is there, if they are too open about it, do you think that they could actually be harming the child by making them too aware about this and by not establishing the boundaries of our current reality? Right. I, I, that's a great question again. Um, I think the best thing you can do is listen and you don't, really don't want to build it up bigger than it is. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Like I wasn't fishing for things, but if he wanted to talk about it, I would listen, and it was generally right before he would go to bed that he would go into these stories. Um, and the best thing to do is to really um, pick up – my book has a lot of it in there, of, of these patterns that children show um, and how to do it. But Carol Bowman's book is really excellent on children's past lives, um, and she really coaches parents on how to handle it, to ask open-ended questions, not leading questions, um, and just to, like, let it be in a way and just know that eventually it will go away and – all of these children who've expressed past life memories by the age of about six or seven, they really assume their own identity, and it does go away, even though it feels like it will never go away when you're in the middle of it. Um, but it's kind of a natural cycle of life that's probably been going on since the beginning of time. 
Miss Kathy Bird, author of the book, The Boy Who Knew Too Much, an astounding true story of a young boy's past life's memory. Past life memories. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. You can learn more about Miss Kathy Bird by going to her website at Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y-B-Y-R-D.com. Miss Bird, thank you so much for being with us today. Joining us now is the queen of the universe, internationally respected psychic medium, Miss Terry O'Connor. You can learn more about Miss Carrie O'Connor and get your own comprehensive analysis and reading done with Miss Carrie O'Connor by going to your website at CarrieO'Connor.com. Miss O'Connor, when you're examining the life of Kathy Bird and you're looking at reincarnated children, children who remember their past lives, is there a direct correlation? Is there anything that maybe stood out in your mind as to why uh, Kathy's child, Christian, was so significant? Oh, absolutely. I When I look at Kathy's energy... Here, even she's a beautiful woman, you know. Um, she looks like she has everything going for her, real go, go, go at it. And an advocate, Ryan, she's an advocate, right? And so, what she does, what a lot of parents do, especially when the kids are two years old. I mean, her story is significant because it ends up being that he remembers that he was Lou Gehrigson. I always say his name wrong. Lou, help me with the name. Lou Gehrigson. Yeah. And um, and so that is, of course, going to help. Um, uh, it changed her life, and she's she's not going to um, suffocate it. She listened to him, you know, and then she not only listened to him, she explored it and brought him to, you know, different past life regressions. And so she she gave him a, like, energetic microphone. And when most kids are at that age, at two years old, I remember my daughter at three years old came around the kitchen, and I just punished her from something. It was not a good time out. And she put her little hands on her hips, and she looked at me, and she goes, and I remember when I was your mother. And when I was your mother, I didn't do this and, and, and put it in time out. And she was going on and on and on. And she goes, and by the way, I was married to dad. And I swear to God, Ryan, ever since, especially that three-year-old, sometimes like when I was dressing up to go out with my then-husband, I would come in and I'd say, tell her, how do I look? And she's like, yeah, you should put your hair up or should you put your hair down. And I got to the point, I, I hate to admit it, that if she told me to put my hair down, I should wear it up because I know it looks good because I wasn't, I was like, in, there was a jealousy coming out that wasn't of a three-year-old that was a daddy's girl. There was an aspect of her that was very much connected as a 30-year-old person that, that remembered that that was her husband. And that was a huge lesson for me, you know. And I I could have... um gotten a power struggle with her but i decided not to so with kathy here he chose and especially he recognized that he chose her as the mother correct he said this is my mom you know, right and the mom in the past life and the thing is, yeah the, so the, the mother and son the, the second consecutive lifetime is there a particular reason why um you would want to remain in the same roles for consecutive lifetimes is it because you cannot fulfill all of your life lessons and experiences in one particular lifetime or is it well well that's, that's a really good question, Ryan. Think of this. What we know about um, Lou's mom is that she was very, very strong. She was a very, very um, uh, uh, first immigrant from Poland, I think, or um, I know they're first generation, and um, a very, a very strong part of his life, right? So what I see with them is that there was unfinished business that they came in here with, and so Kathy had a, had, had the the advocate for the child, you know, she has that all in her, even like call it like a past life hangover. But in this lifetime, where in the past, Lou's mom was known as, um, I know at times she interfered with her relationships. From what I read with my um, 
I happened to read um, Richard was on to baseball, my son, and he had to do a book report at second grade about Lou. So I remember reading that book with him, and they were speaking about the mother and the son's particular relationship, that they were very, very close, more close than the dad. Like the dad kind of stuck out, and the mother ruled the roost there, right? So you could say in some ways they picked each other because they had unfinished business in the way of um, power and control kind of thing. And in this life, they're here to iron them out, where she's more of the advocate instead of ruling with iron fists. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. it's really interesting that you talk about the correlation. And then if you're looking at reincarnated kids in general, I think that's one thing I'm really fascinated by or curious about is yeah. have you come across or said that people who have died on September 11th have already reincarnated? Right. You know, that's a really good question because a lot of times we go over there because we, when we unzip from our physical body, we are beyond time and space. And we could be over there for 100 years, and it seems nothing to us over there, right? But what I've noticed lately is that people are coming back faster. And that's a really good question, Ryan. A lot of times when people died suddenly fast where they felt they had unfinished business, they 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 come back faster because they um, want it, They have uncompletedness. Like it's like an energetic hangover, right? So they want to um, complete stuff, right? Um, especially when it's sudden and tragic and that kind of thing. And I've even seen people that came in with um, with birthmarks or or have um, burn marks or or look like a birthmark that looks like a burn mark. And if you look back in their incarnational experience, not too long ago, they were in a tragic fire. You know, so it really depends on the individual. Sometimes I see them going over there and the way they. Um, they process and they continue to evolve over there. They're saying, you know what, I don't want to go back so quick. But others are, nope, I have, like, vows they want to complete or, um, again, like a real strong feeling of unfinished business. And um, they feel like I, I'm choosing to come back in here right now. And even if going back to Lou, think of the um, the way he died and even having the disease um, ALS named after him. What a restrictive way to die. And even the little boy said, my body stopped working, you know. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, out of all the diseases, I had a client that just died from ALS um, a couple months ago. And here he was this very um, active, um, funny, funny guy. And towards the end, Ryan, it was like he was a prison. He was literally in this energetic prison. So I'm not surprised that Christian wanted to come back because here he lived his life where Lou was very, again, busy, um, uh, loved his life, happened to um, be uh, passionate about what he did, loved what he did, and, and was good at it, and, you know, all those things, and, and was a very kind-hearted guy. And so then, toward the end of his life, he was, uh, had the extreme where his own body shut down on him. He wanted to come back to feel free in his physical body, have that feeling of freedom again, and I'm not surprised that the kid was at two years old needing to play baseball again. It's like a, again, a feeling of unfinished, but um, his physical body wanted to feel the freedom that he felt when he was Lou, feeling the freedom of um, when you watched him play and you watched any Masters play, they are so in flow. I remember um, Wayne Dyer was a metaphysical teacher, reader, and he's a big tennis guy. And he said he would get into a space, Ryan, where – he would go beyond time, and he literally could see where the ball was coming over, and it seemed like it stopped. So then he could range his neck, neck, I mean, um, racket, so it hit it spot on, right? Because he was just such in flow with the game. And that's what I saw Lou was um, 
was so in tune with with himself, with his physical body, with energy that that's how he was so successful. So it's a fascinating story. I can't wait to the um I order the book and I can't wait to the the movies coming out when next year. Yeah, he's he's pretty looks pretty amazing and mm-hmm. you know with these children if they're coming back and they are remembering their past lives and they have a distinctive mm-hmm. grasp on that so they don't have the, the memory loss. I'm wondering if embedded in their subconscious, if they're mm-hmm. also coming back with other information that they're not fully revealing at the surface level right away, like the idea of like, did they visit the Akashic Records when they were in spirit yeah. and they were infinite yeah. consciousness at that particular yeah. time? Do they yeah. have access to the capability of maybe developing yeah. some of these things in the brain that we would normally see as ESP or um, hypersensory yeah. perception? Again, another excellent question, and especially, again, the way these kids are coming in. And what I was impressed about when I read the clip that you, you sent to me, his saying was, remember that we're all one. That My body started shaking when I, said, when I read his quote. Here he's like now eight years old. And his message is that we're all one, that we're all connected. So right there, it shows me that he not only remembers his lifetime as Lou, which is great because it's because he was such a famous guy and the disease named after him and all that kind of stuff, people remember him even, you know, what, 60, 70 years later. But what the bigger message is, is that we contain all, we're multidimensional beings. There's, we have multi, we have access to all these aspects of ourselves. So Lou is one aspect of this piece of creator who is now Christian and Christians coming in with the memory of how to get in contact with the Akashic records or the other aspects of Christians. You know what I mean? And I see a bigger lesson in here is to remind people to go beyond the labels that they have. Now, I wouldn't even be surprised if down the road, Christian, when he gets into 17 to 18 years old, that baseball is always going to be his um, claim to fame and, and, you know, um, something that he always is going to be involved with. But I see him getting more involved with being um, reminding people as a, as a speaker. He has this bridger energy instead of his mother. And bridger people help people get out of their limited way of thinking and walk over the bridge and have a wider perception. Think of most people when we come in here, we view life in a very linear way. It looks like a, a tube that comes out of there. We have the two eyes and the third eye, and that, that's a very limited way. It's, it's locked into mind, emotion, ego. And as these kids are reminding us, get rid of that limited way. Start opening your views, your point of views. Then they're going to help us get on um, – stuck beyond our holding patterns that we've been carrying on for eons and eons and eons. So, yeah, he comes in uh, with the knowledge of he can have uh, access to, like, he doesn't hold his God self way high in the sky like most people do. When I ask most people energetically, show me where your God self is, they, they, it's like I go up to the um, the stars, and that's that's where they are programmed, that that's how far away it is. And that, that the creator part is within us. We are the creator right now in our physical body. We are the angels having a human experience, literally, right? Right now. See, well, my God self's at the bar, and I'm sure. Yeah, my God self's drunk as hell right now. It's like making all, <laughs> making all these wonderful fine. decisions lately. <laughs> that's, Wait, where's that's your God self? Really <laughs> then you know what? The drunk Ryan that's at the bar 
yeah. you connect with the other Ryan that was a, a driver in the past, and then you have give keys over to the guy that was a driver or chauffeur, yep. and then you can get as much as you want, right? You're just seriously, you have access to all those um, those aspects of us, and that's what's really exciting. Is I, I'm hearing more and more kids, um, too. My, my grandson is fascinated by Jupiter, he's always Jupiter, the sun, the stars, Oma, I came from Jupiter, and I, I could go to Jupiter every single night. And if anybody tells him he doesn't go to Jupiter or the stars every night, he gets, he looks at you like, you're a nuts. You're, you're, you're crazy? <laughs> you know, I mean, he gets, he just gets his he look like, oh, yeah, he's like, you are just backwards with that. Of course you could go to Jupiter and the stars, and you go, you could go to is what I call tube traveling, and he looks confused. Then he puts his little hand on the hip, and he's like, "You're, you're kidding, right? You, I mean, you've got to be kidding me." Um, and he is serious. And then, then of course, I'll say, "Where else do we go?" You know, and then we'll fly around the house, and we'll we'll go to different countries. But and then he'll start speaking. Um, I said, "What do they speak in Jupiter in the stars?" And I swear to God, Ryan, he'll go into. That sounds like a bunch of kids gibberish, but. If you ever heard anybody do light language, it sounds exactly like that. That's, so that's our incredible. job as parents, yeah, kids are right. You could really have fun with them in many ways. Um, as parents, grandparents, or, or being around the children is to give them permission. This is what I say Kathy is, to wake up, to shake up the norm, you know. And she even said she went through the, you know, struggle. Does she want to come out? Does she want to expose herself with this, knowing that it's going to – um, break a lot of people's paradigms, and I just got a a Facebook thing by a client that said, "You're never going to believe this, but your uh, my mother-in-law said, who's this woo-woo person carrying a car on Facebook? She writes all these woo-woo kind of quotes or sends out these you know weird quotes, and then the girl said, then I looked on her friend list. She says my mom is one of your friends, and so she's reading all my woo-woo stuff, you know, and she's a clinical psychiatrist that's in her you know, 80s, so it just is, it's funny to me, you know, that we're in this part where humanity is waking up. These kids are coming in from a total different trajectory. The shamans say they come in from the fifth dimension. Literally, their DNA is different. They have access to aspects of them where most of us, when we come in, the part that we access is our wounded part, right? So we have access to the, the part of us that could even been enslaved and had, um, Lifetimes as a slave or, or just really restricted times. And, and those, we can't change our experiences, but we certainly can change how we, um, hold them energetically. So what were else were we besides the slave, right? We were much more than just those wounded parts. So these kids have the ability to go beyond their experience or they're hardwired or some readers say that these kids are coming in with no karma at all. And, and there's a big debate. They have karma, does not have karma, blah, blah. If it's all one, isn't there fair karma for everybody? But where I understand the way I read energy is that it's not that they don't have karma. It's that they are have more energetic tubes connected to those empowered parts of themselves, themselves as a um, as a baseball player that had a great life, you know, or um, a singer or an actor or a medicine person instead of where, again, we come in here and we carry on um, – we're plugged into those experiences that involve a lot of mind, emotion, and ego, and trauma, right? And suffering. Life has to be a lot of suffering. These kids aren't wired with suffering. Excellent. Miss Carrie O'Connor, 
fascinating interview with Ms. Carrie O'Connor, the queen of the universe, internationally respected psychic medium. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for your time. To learn more about Ms. Carrie O'Connor, get a reading of Ms. Carrie O'Connor. Please go to her website at carrieoconnor.com. Thank you, so much Thank you Ryan. It's always my pleasure. I love you. Hey, you love me too. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Ms. Constance Stellis. You can learn more about Ms. Constance Stellis and get your own chart done with Ms. Constance Stellis by going to her website at constancestellis.com. Ms. Stellis, talking about Christian and Kathy and their previous life incarnations as Lou Gehrig and Lou Gehrig's mom. Did you see a direct astrological correlation based on what you know about their birthdays? Um, yes and no. Let me go back. Um, it is um, possible for young children, age two, three, four, to have past life memories um, of, of, of a past life. And they don't know which time zone they're in, so they just speak about it. Um, and I, I know a couple of clients whose, ki whose kids have remembered things that they have no experience of in the present uh, lifetime. So th that is possible. Pinpointing it to a particular mother's son, and uh, evidently um, this young boy had such incredibly specific memories that they could trace it back to this well-known figure of Lou Gehrig. That's not always the case. You know, somebody will think uh, they, they heard bagpipes when they don't even know what bagpipes are, but that's generic, uh, I mean, a child. So what we look for is whether there are um, duplications in the chart. They won't be the same chart because Christian, the boy who was born in 2008, has his own life to lead. And um, so the influence of the past life um can be traced, and you said that they did some past life regressions, so so that there is a, a film, there is a, a connection. However, um, the moon sign of uh, Lou Gehrig was Aries, and of Christian is um, Capricorn. That's pretty different. The... Um, Nodes of the moon, which have to do with past lives and um, uh, our kind of karma from past lives, um, are in a harmonious relationship but also quite different. The thing that is um, maybe significant is the relationship between uh, Jupiter in uh, Lou Gehrig's chart and Uranus in Christian's chart. So um, since that's that has to do with you know cycles of time, but also Uranus um, for the child for the sun is um, um, kind of an electrifying higher mind planet. So uh, he is he's a Leo by birth, Christian. Um, he also can gather information, absorb, I should say, information um, that he knows not from whence it came. <laughs> and um, I'm not saying that he conjured this up. I mean, he was too young. He doesn't know. But um, the, he's very receptive. He's very receptive. And so then we ask, okay, is he meant to be 
a, a baseball player or um, a sports person in this lifetime. And I don't know if he's showed any um, great uh, abilities. Uh, let's see, 2008, so now he's he's nine years old. Um, I would say there are many possibilities for him, and I'm not sure that the classic signs of a sportsman, a professional athlete, are, are exactly in his chart. But that does not negate that he feels some kind of um, connection with this great ball player from, from the past. Now, the mother, Kathy, let's see this here. Um, she is a Gemini and has a Sagittarius moon. And um, she also does not have a lot of direct, um, I mean, wait, she does, because Lou Gehrig was a Gemini, but that's only one out of 12 positions. And there are a lot of Geminis in the world. Oh, wait, we're com I'm sorry. We are comparing her with the mother. Okay. So the mother... It's a lot of data to put together. Yeah. The mother, <laughs> the mother is a Capricorn, so that speaks more to Garrick's mother and Christian because he has the Capricorn connection than Lou Garrick. But I guess logically, uh, she had the child Lou. So um, there, there is. All right, so I'm I'm kind of going around on many different uh, levels here. I think that there's a possibility that this is a, a dynamic duo, mother-son, mother-son over uh, eons. But it does seem to me very clear that contemporary Kathy and contemporary Christian are not going to follow the same life path as um, uh, the, the mother, Lou Gehrig's mother, and Lou Gehrig. Okay. Now, is there anything on here that would indicate the idea of certain life lessons that were meant to be learned by both Kathy and oh, by both Christian? Yes, but that does not really have anything to do with um, Lou Gehrig. Um, I would say life lessons for Christian um, are uh, to... to Keep to to a very um, honorable path. There's a lot of fluctuation in his chart, and fluctuation. What I mean by that is 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 waffling and uncertainty, and there's also a lot of um, a very stick-to-itiveness, and he should emphasize that. Um, um, it, is he interested in sports? Now? He's pretty interested. I mean, they have pictures of him playing baseball. But um, I'm just wondering if there's going to be something where you look at these two charts, Christian, Lou Gehrig, maybe there's something that's similar in Christian's chart that could be an indication that there was uh, something that he was supposed to learn at Lou Gehrig that did not get exactly fulfilled. So there's a specific reason why he has a certain astrological chart or he came in under a certain mm, sign. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, he, he has quite good health, Christian, which is a good thing because poor Lou Gehrig uh, died relatively young of, of ALS, you know. That was a bummer. Um, he has a sensitive uh, digestion and, and intestinal system, Christian, 
so I don't know anything about the ins and outs of ALS, but um, um, I would I would uh, consider that it, at a later point in his life he might have some food allergies that should be looked into. Um, see, we're a little bit hampered because we don't know what time Lou Gehrig was born, but. Uh, that's not completely a, a, a no-go. It also appears to me that Christian has some kind of connection with foreign um, uh, foreign shores, either traveling or philosophically, mentally traveling. Uh, but he, he may very well do a lot of um, traveling outside the United States uh, in his lifetime for, for career. We've heard several stories before about children mm-hmm. who recall their past mm-hmm. lives, is there any specific reason why you think that children remember their past lives? And are there any similarities in charts of people, common similarities that would indicate that they are a person who was destined mm-hmm. to remember their previous life in Uh Well, it's a very good question. First of all, children are open. And um, they don't know they're remembering a past life because they don't, you know, they're not all that concerned about, you know, present time. They're just kind of enjoying life. And, um, I'm actually working on a book about astrological tips for parents. And one of the, um, um, sections is on children who do remember past lives. And usually the scenario goes like this. Um, I'll take the bagpipe example. The child hears bagpipes and is just mesmerized. And usually two, three, four are the ages because their conscious mind doesn't interfere. They just have this experience of something. And um, they say, well, what is that? And the parents say, well, that's bagpipes. And then the kid says something like, oh, I was a man, and I played those bagpipes. And, you know, these were very good parents who told me this story. And they said, really? Okay, let's hear some more about that. And they went, and they looked at a CD with pictures of bag- bagpipes. And the child didn't know it was a bagpipe, but identified it. Then a couple of weeks later, uh, it was story time, and the boy... Um, uh, said something again about bagpipes. The mother said, well, w- w- what do they sound like? And he couldn't make the sound, but he, he kind of gestured, you know, how you do with bagpipes, you're pumping it, right? And so there was clearly an image in his mind, in his experience, that had nothing to do with his present lifetime that was connected to ba- uh, bagpipes. And I'm sure that Christian didn't know anything about baseball, but he, 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 um, uh, remembered certain things. And maybe, I don't know how old he was when he did the past life regression, but, um, it, it checked out. The thing is, is that this usually passes. It's important for children who are very receptive, and if you remember past life, um, um, episodes, to get in present time. They have enough to do this time around. The only exception to this is if the past life memories are um, giving them trouble, nightmares or night terrors. Uh, Night terrors are different, and I've noticed a pattern in people 
charts, and, and if, you, if you don't know, a night terror is when you, you appear to be awake, but you're really asleep. And sometimes um, the kid, and can be adults too, are screaming or thrashing around, and it's like unruly energy that's somehow not been integrated. So um, in, this, in this instant, it's very important to quiet that energy because you don't want to go through your life, you know, thrashing around <laughs> and, uh, and not being able to sleep and, and waking up the whole house. Um, in all cases, whether it's past life memories, night terrors, or nightmares, some episode or episodes from the past has not been integrated and quieted successfully. I mean, in, in days gone by, they would say, oh, you've got demons. Well, you know, it's not demons. And um, very talented uh, therapists or healers can kind of help tuck all this together so that you are not um, plagued by it. Now, if Christian is not having any problems with what he's remembering, then okay, fine. It's interesting. He should keep uh, playing sports. And if he has a specific talent for, for baseball, see where it can can take him. But the parents cannot fixate on it because then the child will not be able to find his own way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Miss Constance Stellis, the Astro Feedom. That was a really uh, intricate, in-depth, and great analysis. I mean, you're working with multiple charts and finding the correlation <laughs> between both. That's, that's incredible. I want to thank you so much for, for doing that. My to, pleasure. Yeah, to learn more about Miss Constance Dallas and to get your own chart done with Miss Constance Dallas, please go to our website at constancedallas.com. Thank you so much for your time today, Miss Dallas. My pleasure. My pleasure. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, internationally respected psychic empath, Miss Lisa Casa. You can learn more about Miss Lisa Casa and get a reading done with Miss Lisa Casa by going to your website at lisacasa.com. Miss Casa. Show focuses today is children who remember their past lives. What is your perspective mm-hmm. on why this happens? And is there a particular overall reason why children generally um, remember their past lives sometimes? Well, it's because, and uh, I can talk from personal experience because I was one of those children in, in a way. It's that, you know, the memories are fresh when they're when they're born. There's no... Um, uh, between the ages of birth to, I'll say, about six years old, there's no, uh, you know, social conditioning that would close their minds and their spirits to different metaphysical concepts. And their memories at that time are extremely sharp. Um, As we age, as I myself even know, we tend to lose our memory. (laughs) It's kind of the same... Since I was yeah. 20, I forgot. I didn't know who I was the day before. It's getting progressively worse. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> but it's along the same concept. The kids, uh, you know, it's the same thing. Like a lot of kids tend to uh, be much more aware of, for example, uh, spirits. They can see spirits. They can see angels. Um, that kind of thing. It's along the same. It's because they're open their receptors are open. They're higher. They're they're still connected to their higher selves a hundred percent, and they have that memory in that little secret part of our brains that house more metaphysical abilities. But like I said, by the time they get to the age of six, seven years old, 
that's when things start to fade, but it is due to social conditioning, you know, conditioning of the parents, especially if they're within, uh, you know, a, a strict religion, well, then that, you know, kind of dampens things even more, unfortunately. Um, but that that's why. That's why kids tend to remember a lot more. Yeah, we discovered in the course of the show that apparently if you're murdered or if you have some kind of trauma, you're, you're inclined to come back really quickly. What, what is a particular reason for that? And also, why wouldn't you want to come back, say, for example, if you had a wonderful life? You say, yes, I, I had a very close family or uh, I was doing well. I want, I want more of that. I want to come back and get it a second round. Well, why is there a um, swaying to one end or the other as far as life experiences go? It, it, I have to say that it's on a personalized basis, like there are, you know, a number of different reasons why, and I can't just pinpoint just one. Like, you know, for example, some spirits um, may, well, and this is quite obvious and real logical, is that, well, their lives were taken from them too quickly. And, you know, there's a concept of free will. We all have it to a certain extent. So, you know, um, their free will was basically um, tampered with. But at the same time, they can incorporate that free will and say, okay, well, you know what, uh, I was taken too soon. I didn't really want to leave, so I'm going to uh, go again. And that's, you know, one reason anyways as to why you can see things go very quickly. But there are also, uh, like you said, you can go to the other end of the spectrum where, some spirits may not reincarnate for 150, 200 years. But I'm curious, when it comes to reincarnation, do you think that because a spirit says, okay, well, I had a really horrific experience as a human being, that they don't go fully into the light or they don't go fully into the spirit world knowing what other options they could have? Because I would imagine, like, like, if you had a horrible experience as a human being, why would you want to come back as another human being? Why not choose another life incarnation where you can attain a similar experience under maybe more peaceful circumstances, because I'm telling you, I'm making it a conscious decision. When I return to the light, I am going to make sure that there are other options to grow without being a human being. I, I can't find and figure out why these people would want to come back as a human being after just experiencing some form of trauma. I was wondering what your perspective is on that. Well, again, firstly, it goes along with the last question. It's very personalized in nature, many, many, many different reasons or perspectives as to why, you know. But um, the thing is, and this is something that the human mind cannot grasp. The way that you are speaking right now, that's the human mind talking and the ego. Really? The human mind is has completely different... Um, goals or uh, mindsets or, or whatever you want to call it as compared to the actual spirit of a person. See, I don't understand. If if all is consciousness and all is relative consciousness, why would one um, expression of that consciousness have a stronger uh, you know, semblance or stronger um, validity than another. I understand it's it's ego based or there's some things that are based on the ego. But I'm, I'm, if I'm looking at this point where I'm like, okay, well, I want to be one with spirit and spirits unconditional love, unconditional peace, uh, love. I don't see that in the human form. I, I maybe maybe there's sparks of it or, or semblances of it, but I don't see that in its totality in the human form or it's capable of the human form. So well, I, yeah, exactly. It's because the. Uh, 
humans forget where they come from and where who you know who they truly are as spirits i mean the the human mind itself gets in the way of a lot it's a huge block put it that way you know that's the only explanation i have for that it's a huge block people forget well again you know the human mind can't even grasp this concept that i'm trying to explain it's even hard to explain this concept because i'm coming from a human mind too right but it's it's like a block. As far as the human mind goes, the human mind, I guess, has a capability. And some people, especially doctors, scientists, they can understand complex formulas, complex forms that entail logic. And I imagine that those same minds that are scientifically hardwired, I'd imagine they have the same capability of understanding spiritual concepts. Maybe they're just based in a belief of science. So right, exactly. I, suppose, you know, I think this idea that we're talking about, I understand it's complex and it may be difficult for he would mind, but I, I, I think it's cap- there's some capability of understanding some semblance of the lesson, but this cause, again, I can't figure out why children remember a past life, experience a trauma, and want to come back as another human. What is, there, is, what is so unique about this particular life evolution as a human being that people want to continue to come back to it, that they won't go other places. What is what from your perspective? What is unique? Well, we about do it? go other other places. Okay. You you know uh, you can't say that. I mean, um, I know that there's different realms of existence, and there's spirits on this planet. Like so, in other words, humans, where their spirits come from. For example, the angelic realm. There are others that come from, you know, this. Uh, you know, there's star persons. Um, there's different realms of existence, so you can't say that because we do go other places. It's just, uh, do you remember your past lives? Do I remember my past life? Yeah. All right, I'm going to reveal just, something to you to, to the audience right now. All right. Well, because the reason why I'm asking is because you, if you don't remember your yourself, you don't remember your past lives, they weren't revealed to you or whatever, then you can't say that without a doubt you didn't go to another realm of existence. You I don't know. I, I, look, this is going to be hard. Exactly. To, you don't know. <laughs> no, no, but, but this is going to be hard for you and, and uh, people listening to understand, but I think I was Jesus Christ in a past life. I'm, I'm completely convinced. Want to know why? Because every why? time I hear somebody nailing a hammer under wood, I'm like, oh, my God, oh, I can't stand that sound. I'm like, I, that's got to be, I, that's gotta be a, a trigger for me. Oh, you know? God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and you know something, too, Wisconsin? I mean, I don't know if you knew about this, but I walk on water. But, oh, uh, do you? Yeah. Yeah, when it's frozen, when right? When it's frozen, right. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, look at me. I'm walking on water. I, ha- I had to be Jesus. <laughs> I had to be. But then it's like, you know, Wisconsin, I'm definitely not Jesus because Jesus was loved and respected, and I did not carry that quality in this life of our nation. I, am, <laughs> no, I, I have the villagers coming after me with pitchforks. I'm like, you know, that's probably an indication. <laughs> I am not Jesus, and no one asked me for forgiveness. Or for healings at all, so you know I, I probably wasn't Jesus. I was probably a peasant at that time. <laughs> Could be getting drunk in the fields on wine. Well, you know what, and that's a good point that you make actually, without realizing it, because a lot of people um, come to me. For example, over the years, I, I've seen it countless times. You know, they want a past life reading, and they're fully expecting that I'm going to tell them. You know, that they were Marilyn Monroe or Adolf Hitler or, you know, somebody so famous. So expecting you to tell them that they're Adolf you know, Hitler? Like, I, oh, God, was I Hitler, please? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, a, a lot of people have this 
this thing where, you know, oh, I must have been someone famous in the past. Like, But the thing is, and I remember saying this on, it was on a, ra- a radio show I had done, I think it was last year, and we were talking about it. And it, it, listen, it's not feasible. <laughs> the amount of spirits compared to the amount of people on this planet, there is no way that everybody could be, for example, Marilyn Monroe or Janis Joplin or the big boss. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's it's impossible to always be somebody famous. It's just a, it's a very weird belief that I've noticed over the years when it comes to past lives and reincarnation. I'm curious. Like, do we have a? Did you say we had a past life together? We had a couple past lives together. Or is this the first time we're going around? I don't know why. Oh, you, oh, I don't know. I thought you knew. I thought you that, that you had sense we had a past life. I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm curious. I'm curious. Well, no, I think that we've had other past lives. I wonder if we. I wonder if we. There did is. I like. I I have a sense or like a a silent or strange knowing that all of us, you know, when it you me Carrie Constance. And and Laura, um, we all knew each other in a past life. But the th- and I know that. But the thing is, I don't know details. I can't get details. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if you killed me or I killed you. Because they would say, oh, you know, you, you, you reincarnated because you killed someone in a last lifetime, and now they're going to kill you in this lifetime. And you and you have all these. I can't stand it. I have to. I know I hear it all the time, and it's supposed to be supposedly part of evolution where you make agreements with people to kill people. Prior to coming in, I, I can't stand that. Though. No, I, me I either. I I don't think that that's altogether true. Like I think that there's. No, my belief is, for example, let's say a murderer, you know, murders somebody, and you know, so they they die, and um, you know, the spirit decides, well, this time around, like I'm going to be reborn again, but this time around, instead of, instead of being the murderer, I'm going to be the victim. And I've seen that, like, in, in different cases, whether it's, you know, like, a, uh, one good example, too, would be, like, let's say domestic violence. You know, you have the husband beating on the wife and, you know, something happen, happens or, may, you know, maybe not necessarily anything severe happens. But, you know, going on into the next life, let's say the wife decides, well, uh, well, not the wife. See, there's that human mind. The human mind can't comprehend this. But, you know, let's say the, the wife spirit says well i'm going to be the abuser this time and the reason for that is i was told actually not that long ago is because the spirit requires a balance a balance between perspectives and roles in order to evolve so you know it, that does make sense. You, you can't evolve unless you can see from all perspectives. Yeah, but why wouldn't the spirit just merge in with source, become one with source, and have instantaneously all those experiences right away, and not have to physically go through it? Why does the spirit have to physically it, endure the pain and suffering, or even the joy, in order to complete its evolution if it's already source by nature? I, you know what? I don't have a real good answer for that other than this. It's a lot like our children, for example. You know, as parents, we, you know, it's our natural instinct to guide them, to protect them, you know, protect them from potential mistakes, 
or trauma or chaos, that kind of thing. That's good when when they're young. But as they get into adulthood, of course, as parents, we still have that parental urge to try to protect. Uh, Even though you can see them going down a bad road, you want to try to protect. And the thing is, you can't. You have to let them go on their own, learn their own lessons, make their own lives, make their own history, make their own mistakes. And the reason for that is they will not ultimately learn unless they do make those mistakes themselves. So it's kind of, my perspective anyways, is kind of along the same lines when it comes to spirit and and your idea of, you know, why can't it just merge, you know, and then not have to deal with all of that. It's kind of along the same lines. If you want true evolution, true learning and growth, then each individual spirit needs to experience it for themselves in order to truly get the lessons that were needed. Miss Lisa Kaza, the clairvoyant cowgirl. You can learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Thank you so much for being with us today, Miss Kaza. Well, thanks again, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our incredible guests, Ms. Kathy Bird, Mr. Tom Schroeder, and the excellent analysis by our virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Stellas. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. Till the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care and thank you so much for listening.